Grace 412 podcast listeners, welcome back to part four of our series, Humble Beginnings. We are preparing ourselves for Easter, which is only a couple weeks away, and we've been doing that through Old Testament examples. We've been seeing Jesus through the life of David, and so we've seen a God that gives us a seat at the table. We've seen a God who fights our battles, a God who is gracious to his enemies, and now we are going to look at a God who will build his kingdom. I will warn you, this is more of a study. This is an in-depth look at uh, who God is and what God is doing. We're going to talk about this big word called ecclesiology. It's basically a fancy way to say the study of the church. And so we're going to look at a lot of verses. Uh, We're going to establish a lot of information, but hopefully we're going to lay a good foundation. And then hopefully in the last few minutes of this, we're going to see how it applies to us and why all of this information even matters. So remember, we're looking at the life of David, but we're seeing a picture of Jesus. And so with that said, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In verse 1, it says this, It came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. So David, he He's finding this season of peace in the kingdom. He wants to build a temple. He says, hey, why does God dwell in a tent while I dwell in this this, this big house made of cedar, made of wood and, and stone? And so at first, Nathan the prophet says, hey, awesome. You go do all that God is leading you to do. But then in verse 4, it says that night God spoke to Nathan. And so we're not going to read all these verses in 2 Samuel 7. There's just too much there. But we're going to read um, kind of the parts that are important. And then I would encourage you to go back and study this out. And so essentially, uh, God makes David a few promises in his response to David through the person Nathan. And so 2 Samuel 7, 5 says, go and tell my servant David, God speaking to Nathan, he says, tell David, thus says the Lord, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I've walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And so God's like, hey, you're going to build me a house? And God says, instead, I'm going to actually tell you something, David. He says, I love your heart, but he's going to say, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to make a place for you, for your family, and for my people. Verse 10, he says, moreover, I'll appoint a place for my people, Israel. I'll plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move, uh, move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells thee that he will make you a house. He says, David, David, I'm actually going to make you a house. Verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt keep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish this kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so God responds to David. He says, hey, David, I I love that you want to do this for me. But he says, I'm actually going to give my people Israel a resting place. And it's through your family line that I'm going to do it. And he says, more than that, your son, he's going to be king. He's going to have power and prosperity. And he is going to build my temple. Verse 16, it says, in thine house and thy kingdom, God's still talking to David. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever according to all 
all these words and according to all his vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So God says, David, listen, I'm going to bless my people and I'm going to bless them through you. And you see part of that uh, fulfilled through Solomon, David's son, building the temple. And in First Chronicles, it actually talks about the fact that David collects most of the supplies for it. David actually starts the work, but Solomon is the one that builds the temple. And so you see for at least 400 years historically, uh, we know for sure that David's family held the throne. And so God gave this earthly promise and God kept this earthly promise. But God also didn't just make an earthly promise to David. This is an eternal promise where he says, I'm going to bless my people through your family line. And so now you continue in this study, you fast forward all the way to Matthew 16. Jesus is in deep in his earthly ministry. He had had yet again been cornered by the Pharisees in Matthew 16. He had just warned his disciples about them. And then we're going somewhere with this. You look at this in Matthew 16 and verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am, that the son of I, the son of man am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And so for, for history here, David makes this promise to God, and then God makes these promises to David. He says, I'm going to bless my people through you. Years later, the temple is built by Solomon, historically probably about 950 BC, and then a century goes by. There's those three or 400 years of silence, and then Jesus bursts onto the scene. The word is made flesh, and he has this different message. He says things like, take up your cross and follow me. He says, love God and love others, and the law and the prophets hang on this. He says in John 4 that you'll no longer worship in Jerusalem or in a temple or on a mountain, but in spirit and truth you will worship. And then to his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you've got it. And on this proclamation, he says, this is how I'll build my church. He goes on to explain that, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He says, it's upon this statement that I'm going to build my kingdom. Jesus then later dies. He's buried. He rises again. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down, and the church is starting to form. God is beginning to reveal this mystery of the body of Christ. And then you get to Acts 15. And in Acts chapter 15, there's disagreement, okay, about Jews and non-Jews and who God's people actually is and about whether or not they should continue keeping the law or not or about who should have to keep the law. And then we're going to pick up in verse 13 of Acts 15. Again, we're going somewhere with this. In verse 13, it says, after they had held their peace, James said, men and brethren, hearken unto me. He says, Simeon hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residents do of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who does these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And so James stands up. He says, hey guys, listen, God said he was going to do this. 
He said he was going to establish his kingdom after David. He's actually quoting Amos 9 there. And then James says, and he is doing that now. It was his plan for the church. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen actually says something similar. In verses 44 through 50 or so, you see this same doctrine. In Acts 7, he says, This temple is not made with hands, for God dwells in the heavens. And this is so important for us to get what's happening here, that, that Jesus dies, he's buried, he raises again, he ascends into heaven. We now have the Holy Spirit. We are united, and there's no more Jew or Greek or bond or free, but salvation is to all who would believe the gospel. And we are now the body of Christ the hands and feet of Jesus. And so the question here is, would we believe that God wants to do something bigger than our finite understanding, our physical location, or our personal efforts? David says, I want to do something for you, God. And and God says, David, I'm actually going to do something crazy through you. And then years later, Jesus comes on the scene and he is in the line of David. He's the great, 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 great grandson of David. And through David's line, we now have the kingdom of God continued. And as Acts says, it's not a temple made with hands, but we are the church, the body of believers. And so again, I ask, would we believe that God wants to do something bigger than our finite understanding, our physical location, or our personal efforts. Jesus says, who do other people say that I am? And the disciples tell him, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Paul goes on to explain it even more in detail in Ephesians chapter 2. We've been talking about Ephesians chapter 2 quite a bit in this series, and so we go back there in verse 19 and we see it. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Look at this, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And you go back to Matthew 16, verses 13 through about 20, where Jesus says, I am the rock, and it's upon this rock that you will build my kingdom, that I will build my kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Paul says, verse 20, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom all the building is fitly framed together, and it grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. He says, you now are the body of Christ. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the picture of God for the world to see. We are a part of the family of God. We can all receive blessing through our relationship with Jesus. This is the point. This is the parallel. This is the picture that's being made here. That just as God used David to build his, or used Solomon to build his physical temple, just as God uh, blessed the people of Israel through the family line of David, we now, through the work of Jesus, can have relationship with God. We now are the body of Christ, a building fitly framed together, growing unto a holy temple in the Lord, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And you say, what on earth does all this matter? Like my head is spinning. Why is this so important? This matters because our faith is more than just this thing we grew up believing. 
Church is more than just this place we come and hang out with our friends. Being a Christian is more than just a casual thing that we say to make ourselves feel better or to help other people know what kind of moral code of conduct we have. This is about being eternally united to the creator of the universe and being eternally united to other believers for a purpose that was placed on us before the world began and will last long after the world is no more. This is the promise of God's kingdom. And so what can we take away from this? You skip over to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to see four things in beautiful alliteration, all from Ephesians chapter 3. Here they are. The first one is this. Ephesians chapter 3, we learn God already has the plan. Be patient. You see this in the picture of David. David says, God, I want to do something amazing for you. And God says, David, just you wait. I want to do something amazing through you. James says in Acts 15, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. In other words, God knew what he was doing all along. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, according to the eternal purpose he had purposed from before the foundation of the world began. This is God's plan and God's purpose, and he is bringing it together. Our response is to be patient, to trust him, and to wait on him. David didn't get the immediate reward of building the temple, but instead he gets the eternal reward of seeing his family line bring the Messiah and the ultimate church builder, the ultimate kingdom builder. So if you're in a season where you don't know where to go or you don't know what to do, or maybe you want to be used of God, but you're not sure how or when or what, seek him, trust him. And like we said last week, do the next right thing. Because takeaway number two is this, God wants you to be a part of the process. Be unified. We're going to go through these quickly in Ephesians 2. He says you're united together in Christ. That's the entire purpose of Ephesians 2. And then in, in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3, he says you've all been made sons of God together. You're all partakers of his work together. In verse 9, he says this is a fellowship of his mystery, the body of Christ, this mystery that was revealed to Paul that's now revealed to us that we are united in fellowship. Verse 13, he says my tribulation is for you. Paul says, my suffering is for you. In verse 14, he says, it's for this cause that we now live and we breathe and we share this message. We've got to be unified because we're all working as a part of the process. God tells David, I don't need you, but I'm going to use you. So if you, if you study this out, David got the supplies, David got the resources, Solomon built the temple, Mary carried the, carried the Messiah, John the Baptist prepared the way, Peter made the proclamation of faith, Paul ushered in the age of the body of Christ, and all of them understood the bigger picture, God's glory seen through the person of Jesus. And the message is the same for us. We can now be a part of the process to share this life-giving, life-changing message of hope with the world. And it's needed now as much as ever before because the world is broken, the world is lost, and they need to know that there is still something to place your faith in. And that's why number three is so good because God will keep his promises. We need to recognize that when we're placing our faith in God, we are placing our faith in sovereign creator who is true to his word. God is going to keep his promises, so be bold. 
God is going to keep his promises. Be bold. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, in Jesus, we have boldness. In Ephesians 3 verse 16, Paul prays that you would be strengthened by his might. I mean, these people are being imprisoned for their faith. They're being martyred for their faith. They're being tortured for their faith. And what are they doing? They're praying for more unity and more boldness. It's, it's this idea that they recognized the power of God in them and the message of God for them and the promises of God being activated through them. And they said, we're going to act in more boldness because we know he has an eternal purpose and an eternal plan behind what we're doing. God has an eternal purpose that he created in you, Ephesians says, from before the foundation of the world. And when our identity is rooted in that, nothing scares us. We can face trial with boldness. We can share truth with boldness. We can hear criticism with boldness. Why? Not because we're special, but because God is and because we trust him to keep his word. And whether we see our reward this side of heaven or the other side of eternity, we know that he is good, he is faithful, he'll be glorified, and we will recognize his power and his promises on an eternal scale that is far beyond us. Our focus is in the right place. It's on God's glory. And that's why the last takeaway is this. God will always have preeminence or first place, so be humble. God will always have preeminence. Look, David had an idea. He had this great thing he wanted to do for God. And God said, I have something better for you to do, but you're, you're not gonna see the reward. David wanted to build this this church building. And God said, David, through you, I'm going to actually send Jesus. And they're going to tear that building down. Jesus says, tear this building down. And in three days, I will raise it up again. Through him, the church, the body of Christ will be born. And how many of us, if we were honest, like David, would probably be tempted to be like, yeah, but I'd rather do the cool thing now and get to see the reward. Like David would have loved to have been able to build the temple and get a physical manifestation of all of his work and all of his labor. We want to see the fruits of his labor. We want to see the fruits of our labor. But if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, David says, God, I'm trusting you to keep your word and I'm trusting you to do according to all that you have said. David says, I'm trusting the bigger picture here. God is going to have first place. You go back and read it, and it's pretty bold. David says, hey, according to your name, I'm trusting you to bless my family, as you have said, because it's your glory that's at stake. David showed patience. He waited on God. He showed unity. He gathered the resources, but Solomon built the temple. He displayed boldness as he said, God, you do what you said you will do. And he showed humility as he put God's desire before his own. I know this is a ton of information and there might be a million takeaways or you might not be even sure what this means for us today. But I just encourage us with a couple of things. What can we learn from this? If nothing else, go back and study 2 Samuel chapter 7. Go back and study Matthew 16. Go back and study Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 15 and Ephesians 2 and 3 and look at this plan of God from before the foundation of the world and the work that he wants to do through those of us that have believed the gospel, through his people. What can we learn from this? Number one, God has a plan. Trust him. Be patient. Secondly, God wants you to be a part of the process. So work together. Be unified. 
Number three, God always keeps his promises. So be bold, be brave, be courageous, be confident. But then lastly, recognize God will always have preeminence. He will have first place. In Matthew, he says, it's upon this rock that I'll build my church. It's upon this statement that Jesus is who he said he was. Ephesians 2 and 3, it's him as the chief cornerstone. God will always have preeminence. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So be humble. Don't make this about you. His kingdom is far bigger than you or me. Would we believe that God wants to do something bigger than our finite understanding, our physical location, or our personal efforts? Let's do our part. Let's love God, love others, and make disciples who make disciples from now until he returns or calls us home. And then let's just see and celebrate what God does next. That's our goal this week, this month, this year, and moving forward, we're going to finish this series up next week with a gospel-centered message. It's super exciting. I hope you guys will tune in or even come visit us next Wednesday night. We'll talk to you then. 